Hi from your At The Flicks team and I hope you have your walking boots on for another ramble through the movies with Elijah, Jeff and Graham. Hi both, how are you? Fine, thanks. Doing great. Excellent, enjoying the hot weather. Well, it oh, was hot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, 93 degrees and 80 something percent humidity years. Guys, this heat wave came to us. The US map went from red and yellow to blue. <laughs> Really? Oh, my yeah. I I believe that blue was shock at how hot it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now those that follow the rambles know that we start off with a movie, and then we just go all over the place wherever the mood takes us. To start this episode and a good grounding, we're going to go with Thor: Love and Thunder, the five hundredth film from Marvel this year alone. <laughs> it only feels like that, Jeff. Yeah, it certainly did when I was Honestly, watching it. feels like more. Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space Viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dead bod of God Bard. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? Elijah, I'm going to look for a kindred spirit to start, as I suspect your view might be similar to mine. What did you think of Thor, Love and Thunder? I'm not really sure where the thunder and the love was. Or the Thor. But <laughs> other than that, you know, it was uh, there was a lot of color, nudity. It was bright. Yeah. I, and to be fair, in that battle with Gore, he must have been Thor when he sat down. Oh. Here all week. Oh. <laughs> the sign of a good pun is the size of the groan. And that's, right. that's about an 8.7 on the Richter scale. Go on then, Graham, give us your view. I enjoyed it. I didn't mind it because I saw it on a, it was on a Friday night I saw it, and the IMAX I saw it in was packed, absolutely packed. And you got that communal feeling and everybody was cheering along and it was great. So it, it really raised it. But afterwards, later on, I thought, what happened in that film? I cannot remember. It just, it was just so bland, I think, that I just... You know, there were some moments that were good, but basically it just, it was just, uh, meh. And I, I don't think Toto Waitiki was top of his game for this one. It really didn't seem to work. Some big sections of it, not many people were laughing in the cinema, and then other bits was very funny. Not the best. Okay, I'll throw my two pennies worth in. I think tonally it's all over the place. Mm. Um, I think... Watiki tried to bring to this film what he brought to Thor Ragnarok, that irreverent style. And there he got away with it because it was funny, loads of in-jokes, and it wasn't too serious. This had quite a funny start, but then it became serious and you needed to empathise with the fate of Natalie Portman. Spoilers are coming, by the way, just in case that that one... That <laughs> That's one okay, nobody watched it. it. Nobody watched <laughs> it. So I think he just didn't adjust the tone accordingly. And I think somebody like Branner, who directed the first Thor, would have really made this his own. Elijah, back to you. Do you think Branner would have been a better choice of director? Okay, Thor is a Shakespearean character to begin mm -hmm. with. He gave Thor 
a distinctive personality straight from the comics. I mean, he's always been a serious character. Heck, he speaks in these and thous like he just came out of uh, King James England. Um, (laughs) Speaks like he's out of out of a play from Shakespeare. And so Kenneth Branagh, being a Shakespeare guy, was able to bring that to the table. And the first Thor movie isn't the greatest film ever made either. But it has a really solid arc for Thor to go through, you know, from being this prideful narcissist to laying down his life for the people that he loves at the end. And that's when he realizes that's where his power comes from. But in this, he starts off as the prideful narcissist again, as if he learned nothing. He has to go through that character arc again. And he's gone through this character arc about four times in the (laughs) Marvel film so far. He's never allowed to actually progress. He just has to keep regressing so he can have the same arc. Regress, have the same arc. That is a good point, actually. Yeah, he hasn't learned anything at the start of this film. He's self-absorbed, as you say, narcissistic. The whole section with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, it's quite funny, but it seems out of place with the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. But um, he's constantly on a redemption arc, isn't he? I mean, he loses his brother. He's lost his brother quite a few times. And and now he get and then he gets him back and he redeems himself. He loses his powers. He loses his father. His sister's a witch, you know. And he's always trying to come back from stuff. I think this was just one too many. Well, the thing is, they ruined it in Infinity War, is when they completely demolished Thor's arc. Because in Ragnarok, and as a movie, I liked Ragnarok quite a bit. As a Thor film, I hated it. Mm-hmm. It's not a Thor movie. In Ragnarok, he you know embraces that arc and he becomes king of yeah. Asgard. You know, he takes his place as the rightful ruler. And then by Infinity War, you know, everyone, all of his people have been wiped out somehow by aliens that mere humans can kill. And Thor and all the Asgardians are super strong and super beings. Yep. So that makes absolutely no sense at all. Thor would have been able to wipe them all out by himself. He takes out Thanos, who's at the height of his power, with all of the Infinity Stones with one blow. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to get into the whole... But it shows that he gave up his kingship at the end of Infinity War. And now it's King Valkyrie, which it's not how titles work. <laughs> and he had to come back from being fat as well. Yeah, <laughs> which was, it, he's he's been turned into a joke. Yes. Yeah. He is just the butt of jokes for 90% of the, the films he's been in recently. Yeah. That is a really good point. Yes, with Thor Ragnarok, particularly in this, he's he is a, a, a joke. So the emotion stuff doesn't work. And I want to go back to the first film. I'm really interested in what you're saying there about, you know, he's he's narcissistic and he goes on this change throughout the first film. And in a way, it reminds me of something. The old film Waterworld with Kevin Costner. Wow, Jeff, this is a stretch. No, hear me, hear me out. Hear me out, right? Holy hear me cow. Out, hear me out. No, this is a stretch, but trust me when I'm going with this, all right? It's a ramble. You know, we're going over dangerous ground here. Trust we could be here all week. Okay. So in the beginning of Waterworld, Kevin Costa has got this fantastic boat, this wonderful vehicle he uses. So you see it in action in the first part of the film, and then they spend the rest of the film destroying that boat, right? So you don't really ever really get to see it again because it's taken apart. The first Thor film sets up this wonderful location, the Asgard, the gods, his redemption, and then the other films, Dark World, Ragnarok, and this, just take that mythology apart. Yeah. Did that work for you guys, the water world to Thor? You know, it is not something that I would have thought of when I'm, you know, comparing the, the film. I get where you're going with it. You set it up, and then you're intent on destroying it. 
Mm-hmm. And and that worked to an extent in Ragnarok because it's all fun. Yeah. But this isn't and that he, film. he does complete the arc in Ragnarok is the thing. He completes that arc. He becomes king. He stops running away from his destiny and embraces it. So that worked on a thematic level. And then Infinity War and Endgame happened and everything yeah. else. And, and then, as you say, it becomes a joke. So you compare that then with Natalie Portman, who comes back into the film, who's playing quite a serious role. And she has fun with the character as she becomes her version of Thor. But it's quite again, a serious role. That's not how names work. No? Thor is a personal name. <laughs> okay, I'm missing this. Where, where, where are we going here? No, I'm, I'm just poking fun at the the oh, uh, was it the Lady Thor, thing. yeah, Lady or Thor. the Mighty Thor. It's like I'm. No, yeah. that's not how. It's not how this works. <laughs> and and that whole sacrifice thing just didn't work for me emotionally. You know, the, mm-hmm. and her death again. You know, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> for all people who and watched it the other thing with Jeff you just reminded me when you said the tone was all over the place you had Gore the, the God Butcher a really quite dark dark character and he was very scary in the peers inside the cage with the children that was quite dark and, and so he's very dark and then you've got Thor running around being stupid and I thought yeah so when you get to the end and uh, uh, Gore has his redemption piece, it just felt well, really, really. He had, he was so single minded over, you know, hundreds of years doing this thing, climbing up the the tree of gods, as it were, until he gets to the top. It just felt a bit uh, all over the place, and it was totally it was just wrong. Well, I'll come back to Gore on that in a minute. But one thing that you're saying there that I really did like was the black and white stuff. Yes, I thought when they did that, that is the one time where you know there's a there's a bit of fear and a bit of danger coming out of this, and it's unsettling like an old horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but, but then they didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah, no, they exactly. Didn't. Exactly. And, that's right. and, and I think and, they threw it away. Yeah, all the horror elements that you could have had, even the monsters that show up, you know, the shadows and the kids yes. and all that. When they actually show up, you can't even you can't see what the monsters are. No. They're just kind of there. And in that fight scene in Asgard, or, or New Asgard, it is one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. Like, you can see the guys in the background just kind of randomly swing, you know, the, the extras. Mm-hmm. Because they, you know they're not swinging at anything. No. And half the time, like, they didn't even put a CGI creature there for them to hit. So they're just kind of swinging at air. Actual air. This is this is shockingly bad from from Marvel, who've got, you know all the money in the world to do this correctly. Just before this show, I was just watching episode three of Sandman. And yeah, we well, hold, that, hold, that, hold that, hold that thought. It's a TV show and the graphics were brilliant. You're not following the map, guys. You're going off now. You're going off. We're going to come <laughs> got, to Sandman. Um, got, got my boots on. I'm yeah, off. good, right. <laughs> so the other thing with Gore, and it's good, and Christian Bale was great, he was, he was good, yeah. I agree with you. His redemption at the end seemed false. Yeah. But he's the god killer. And to be quite honest, he could have killed a lot of them because <laughs> they were all obnoxious from, you know, from the pizza selling... Joe Dolce? Joe Dolce. Uh, what's the matter, you? What's the matter, you? Hey, got no respect. What do you think you do? Why are you looking? 
so bad. It's a nicer place. I shut up for your face. Trust me, if you don't know that song, Elijah, your sanity is spared. <laughs> and um, comedy song about shut up your face. Who was it again playing? Oh, Joe Dolce. No. Uh, oh, oh Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, yes. Oh, thank as, you. as Zeus? Yes. Yeah. So Russell Crowe was just awful. Wasted. Yeah. All of those gods there indulging in this sport of spectacle. Um, you got the gods in the beginning that, uh, or the god in the beginning that Gore kills. And you're thinking, yeah, you know, actually, I think he's got a fair point. The one god that they killed the creature, and he said mm-hmm. oh, he, he was good. Well, he didn't look good to me. All the gods were awful. There's no reason for him to not kill the gods. Exactly. Except for Thor. They raise it to a level with the children, and you know in a Marvel film he isn't going to kill the kids. Yeah. DC might yeah. have done it, but Marvel <laughs> won't touch it. Uh, no, so, DC would have killed the kids, their parents, and their dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Gone the full Stalin. <laughs> the Snyder, that'll be the Snyder Cut. Yeah. And in that point, there's no character to Gore because you actually half sympathise with him. So his redemption is just, I don't know, seems weak, seems pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as good as Bale is. The whole thing with the even the, the sword. Like, okay, so the first guy that he encounters killed the previous holder of the sword. Yes. So yes. Why odd. can't? Why are the other gods afraid of a guy that they can obviously kill? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. And yeah. But uh, Bale gave, I thought, a great performance, but his character was two-dimensional. There was nothing for him to work with. Exactly. No. Yeah. Exactly. I think yeah. it's a testament to his skill that he was able to make it in any way memorable at all. But even the design, like you, you know, what the comics look like Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Gore is this crazy-looking alien. And in this, he's just a dude. Yes, I know. Although I did like the, the constant sort of feeling of the scars on his head. As a, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I thought, yeah, it was a performance. It was a performance, but to no real end, really. It mm-hmm. just, it, uh... no, I think, for me, to sum this up, it's an irreverent tone. So it's toneless in, in terms of what it's trying to accomplish. The stakes aren't high enough. And it's overlong. Right? It is overlong. And the yeah. whole Jane's arc doesn't work either because she's got cancer and the hammer was supposed to protect her. Yes. And it kills her. Yeah. Somehow, for some reason. Yeah. Okay. So let's veer off the path. I think we're all in agreement. Graham had a rush of blood to the brain when he first saw it, but he came round to our way of thinking. Oh, no, that's I, good. I enjoy the cinema experience. That's my problem. Yeah. See, I saw it at like 10 p.m. at night. There was 12 people in the theater. The only person who laughed was sitting next to me. <laughs> I would. I think we should. We can all give it um, five screaming goats, and that's a negative <laughs> score. Yeah, that didn't annoy me either. I like screaming goats. I thought they were fun. Okay. Yeah, it was funny the first time. Yeah, okay. All right. So let's move from one comic book character to another. Elijah, what are your thoughts on the cancelling of the completed Batgirl movie? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's clever. Jeff, I didn't see that one coming. Good riddance. I don't know. I don't know anything about the film or what they were trying to accomplish. I know that they brought back 
Keaton for yes. some reason as Batman. They tried to tie it into the Justice League by having J.K. Simmons in as Gordon, but that doesn't work. Like DC is so st- they're stupid. They're stupid. So my my understanding of that is the linchpin of all these films is the Flash, and of course Ezra Miller being a complete <laughs> dick. They're stuck with when they're releasing this film, they've pushed it back to next year. In The Flash, he goes to alternate universes. You've got Ben Affleck as Batman. He crosses over where Michael Keaton's Batman. Their thinking was they're going to bring Keaton in then as the Batman on that timeline. But they haven't done it yet. Now, this has caused all sorts of problems. So they can't release Batgirl anyway until after The Flash comes out for it to make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They've had to go back and recut Aquaman and have put Ben Affleck back in as Batman rather than Michael Keaton. Yeah, where they've positioned everything. So it probably would have gone out. The Flash was due to come out in November. I imagine Batgirl was due to come out around Christmas on HBO Max. Um, And then they had these test screenings and everybody said they were awful. They weren't. That isn't what happened in the test screenings. What happened in the test screenings is they were saying, do you think this is cinematic? And they said, no, it's pretty good for a pilot for a TV series, but it's not, you know, what you call a... A cinematic film with ambition. Which well, what kind I, of what kind of TV pilot are we talking about? Are we talking like HBO? Good HBO. We're we talking about CW level pilots because those are um, completely different things. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, look, a lot of people in Glasgow are very upset because they had almost a week of night filming going on up there where they were kept awake with all the explosions for this film. And now we're never going to be released, written off as a tax rebate is uh, really going to annoy them. I ain't going to tell the people of Glasgow that. It's a complete mess. And that leads me on to my next question. And this is where I'm really interested in your view. So Elijah, I assume you are a HBO Max user, yeah? Yes. So what are your thoughts on the seeming upcoming cancellation of HBO Max? It's such a strange move. Like I, I worry that with um, Zaslav in charge, that he'll make it into more reality TV, <gasps> as opposed yes. to scripted shows, which is what I want to watch. I don't want to watch reality TV, but it does seem like they're trying to focus on the DC stuff. So maybe you know we'll get a an actual plan for this stuff, and they'll bring back Zack Snyder so he can finish his Justice League, which would be amazing. I think the thing that worries me with all of this is there seems to be a clandestine operation going on. So HBO Max films that were made specially for the platform are starting to disappear. American Pickle is one. More importantly for me is The Witches, Robert Zemeckis' film, which I liked. I'm really pleased I bought a physical copy of that because it looks like it's going to be impossible to find shortly. You don't own it unless you own it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, unless you can hold it in your hands, it's not yours. The digital stuff is not real. Listen to this, Graham. These are important words being said. (laughs) Which is why I bought a digital version of The Gentleman and a physical version of The Gentleman. (laughs) People like Warner Brothers are going to love you if you're buying two of everything. (laughs) Well, no, I bought bought it at a disc. It was like two bucks for the DVD, Ah. for the Blu-ray, sorry. Yeah. And then I got the discount, five bucks digital. Sadly, I could only buy a digital version of the excellent Father Stew. There's, there's no mm. physical one of that, so I bought it. Uh, in British I haven't TV. seen it yet. I loved it. Oh, it was great. The the um, upcoming show in the review show where we talk about, in fact, it will be out by the time this one is, 
but we will be talking about Father Stu, and um, I was the only one that stood up for it. I, I saw the merits. Graham wanted to see the merits, but... He did not want to see the merits. I called it Vatican propaganda. Oh, you don't like Catholics, Graham. Are you a, Are you a... An Irish Protestant atheist? Is that what you are? Yeah, I am. You a Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist? What? That's not how it works. Answer the question, Graham. (laughs) How did you answer the question in real life, Graham? Uh, With an oof, because the guy didn't wait for the answer. He just kicked me. But never mind. Yes, there you go. Wow. That's a very succinct answer. (laughs) Yes, oof. Yes. Yeah. yes. Excuse my hand. And then excuse me while I vomit on your shoes. Um, <laughs> that's orange. It's Protestant vomit. Yes. So yeah. So the word is that um, getting away from that image. HBO Max and Discovery Plus are going to link together. Yeah, and Discovery Plus is very, as you were saying, Elijah. It's very heavily reality TV. And I'm personally of the opinion that there's nothing worse than reality TV. Exactly, I live in reality and it's shit. Somehow, the reality TV in reality TV is worse than reality. <laughs> yeah. As anybody who's ever seen an episode of The Apprentice will testify. Or Love like, Island. My wife loves watching Survivor and stuff, and I can't, I can't stand it. Oh, I want to take every single person on every single show and just slap some sense into them. Yeah. yeah. I had to sit through the final of Love Island. Did you? I was all for putting landmines on the beach, but then like that's it's yeah. just me. I never liked Michael Owen when he went to Man United. The fact he ah. lets his daughter go on Love Island, as I found out watching this horrible thing, just made it all the worse. I keep hearing about Love Island, but we don't have that here. What the heck? Oh, is it's, oh, coming. Oh, it's, it's coming! It's coming! Don't you worry! Don't you worry! It's coming, and yeah. it's awful. What I saw of it, anyway. I imagine it's all like that. Let's talk on something positive. So, earlier on, you tried to take a shortcut, and now we're going to get there. Sandman on Netflix. I'm the king of dreams. Ruler of the nightmare realm. What are you doing here, Etty? He's coming, isn't he? Yeah. Morpheus. The Aneeromancer. You know the Sandman. He's a fairy story, Eddie. He's no fairy story. He's back. Good to know. It's really well made. Oh, it is. It is. The music is fantastic. Yes. Yes. And the visuals, like, for once, they have drone shots that are there for a reason. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, the way the camera moves off kilter and... The transitions between everything is just so well done. Like this is this show is crafted. Yeah, the bird inside the house, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to no spoilers. The bird inside the house, which was obviously what a sexist a, remark. A, a, a drone <laughs> shot. I'm talking about a raven. Oh um, right, sorry. Right. Okay. The, the raven inside the house was just so well done. And there's some other shots. There's a there's a gargoyle who's very very realistic. The way it transitions and speaking to the fates. Yes. So good. Oh, and that snake scene was really disgusting. Yeah. The acting is all solid. Like, some of it is, it goes into the the weird, I guess, is that part of DC. I'm not really familiar with the uh, the Sandman storyline, so I can't say, you know, how accurate it is to the comics or not. 
but I know that Neil Gaiman is heavily involved in the show. It's taken 30 years for it to get here. Mm-hmm. They were wanting, and he said, and kept saying, no, 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 it's not right. It's not right until they got to this level. And he said, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, this is what I, this is what I imagined. They've just done a fantastic audio book version of Sandman, which I listened to last year, which was superb. Mm-hmm. Just like the comics and the comic, in fact, I think I've got the comic behind me on the shelf here. It was just so well done, the radio. And again, he was heavily involved in that. And he's just taken that and transferred it onto onto the small screen. And it really is exceptional. The acting is superb. The real actor is, he's so exhausted from being trapped for 120 odd years. Even when he's escaped and things like that, you think this guy is completely exhausted and all of his his special magical items which he calls his tools have been taken from him and now he's on a quest to get them back it just is brilliantly put together and he plays that sort of beaten down trying to get back to my position of power it's just and so just world weary he he gives the sense of being ancient yeah. He, has that, he, he got the look in his eye yeah. that fools you into thinking that, which is yeah. really phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and some of the siblings that he has, you know, the, the yeah. desire, death. Yes. What is it? The, Somebody I forget else, them. Yeah. 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 yeah there's the three but some of those there. others are really good too. And yeah. I'm only in the, I'm on the sixth episode. Oh, wow. You're way ahead of me. I'm on three. Okay. So you're about to be. Intro- I've just been introduced to the demon who was going to marry the the princess from the royal family, which had me in fits. Absolutely had yeah. me in fits. Which is pretty, you know, standard for the royal family, <laughs> from what I understand. And that whole scene was great. When, <laughs> when the demon emerges. Yes, fabulous. Do they go to Pizza Hut? <laughs> yes. Does he sweat? Yeah. Um, is there anything like Good Omens? Yes, Good Omens is a sort of a low-budget version of this. Yeah, I haven't seen Good Omens, but yeah, by the look of it, it's nothing like this. Like, this is... It's very cinematic. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a six-part movie is what it is. Or, wait, eight-part, eight, nine-part, ten-part, whatever. Ten, ten parts. Ten, ten parts. Part. You can tell Netflix went all in on this, and they're doing a really good job. And And it also shows what Netflix can do when they put their mind to it. Well, they don't just crap out content on the regular. <laughs> Did they drop all 10 episodes at once? Yes. Yes. We've got to step away from this and learn the lesson that Prime and Apple are teaching an episode per week. That whole thing is something that I personally hate because I got into streaming to be able to binge watch a show. But on the other side of it, when you've only got one episode per week, and, and Disney as well will do this, it generates talk. It generate, generates a huge amount of buzz about shows as opposed to it. All 10 episodes are there. Everybody watches it. It's chat for a week or two, then drops. Yeah. Well, you saw with Stranger Things, didn't they release an episode a week? Did they? Uh, no, I think they released it in two blocks. Okay. Because that, like, that was part of the conversation for a long time. Yeah. All my coworkers were talking about it. People coming in to donate were talking about it. I still haven't watched it. I kind of stopped watching after season or in season three. I I haven't watched any of it yet. There's a lot of interest in Stranger Things from people who I normally, they wouldn't like that sort of thing. So it Mm -hmm. must be doing something. 
Oh, I mean, a big part of it is the 80s nostalgia. Yes. Yeah, there is an awful lot of that. Yeah. But now we're going into 90s nostalgia. The new generation apparently is talking about like the 90s stuff that I grew up with. And Graham being element with the Spice Girls. Um, <laughs> Don't look the Spice Girls, Jeff. Don't take that step too far. <laughs> we're about to the point where as a millennial, I can blame all the problems with the world on the next generation. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to being able to switch the blame from the boomers to the Gen Zers. Nope, nope. It's our fault. We, we did it. As long as I don't have to take responsibility myself, I'm fine. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, again, we've gone off the beaten track, and yep. that's what the rambles are for. I went to school with some boomers, yeah. I know what they're like. <laughs> I wouldn't Wait, trust you're, you're them. talking about the ones that actually use the car bombs for boomers, right? <laughs> yeah, actually attended kind of school. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Another ramble is over with a controversial comment that you, listener, will never hear. <laughs> 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 When we've recovered our strength, we'll be back with another shortly. Elijah and Graham, it's been fun, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you very much. Yep, can't wait. <laughs>